Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Lord, you are our shepherd, and yet so often we forget that we're the sheep and we think we're the shepherd, that we have to be the ones to protect. We have to be the ones to tend the field, to chase after, and to always be on guard. Lord, remind us, remind us that we are sheep who can trust our shepherd and remind us that you are the good shepherd, that you never weary of your job, you never uh, forsake your responsibilities, and you're entirely faithful uh, to what you have said you will do. Lord. We give you those things that we try to carry, those things that burden us down and that grieve us. And we ask you to move. Lord, for the many prayers we see coming in of sickness and uh, diagnoses of uh, chronic pain, of nearly emerging uh, mental health issues. Lord, it's our, our proclivity to hold those, but instead we offer them to you because we know that you uh, can hold them and you actually are the one who can uh, change them. So we pray that you take those burdens and you act. We know that you can heal and that you will heal. Lord, we see... Uh, wise prayers for our government officials from uh, the top on down. We see prayers for uh, the leadership of our denomination and the leadership of our church. Lord, if we trust in human wisdom, we know that so often we fail. So give us your wisdom across the board of leadership that decisions are made that are faithful uh, to honoring your creation recognizing that that is an entirely complex decision-making process and outside of your wisdom and guidance there is no way we're going to get it right. Lord, we see prayers for families. Families who are struggling under the weight of new normals, of isolation, of being on top of one another. Lord, pour out your spirit on families to bless them and help them find ways to bless one another. And Lord, we also see so many prayers of folks who are just lonely. We know that um, in many corners of our town, of our nation, 
There are folks who, uh, for one reason or another, are weathering this alone. Lord, show us how to be community, even digitally. And yet at the same time, may you be so near to them. Assure them of your presence and that you never leave nor forsake them. When we have so many, so many burdens on our heart, we also have so much to celebrate, Lord. Celebrate that mitigation is working, that models are literally being reconfigured because uh, what we have done under uh, wise direction is working, that literally lives are being saved, that uh, there is time for our medical facilities to care for folks, that testing is being developed. We are thankful that uh, we hear good news of possible treatments. We hear that progress is being made towards vaccines. We're thankful that we can even begin to consider what reopening looks like, even though we recognize that's a long and drawn out and complex and um, even scary process. We're thankful that that's a, a, a possibility. We're thankful for the ways in which we've seen relationships renewed and restored in the midst of this, that uh, so many of us have been forced to slow down to consider what is important, and even more importantly, who is important. We thank you for the ways in which we've begun to see even more clearly that we are created in your image, the ways in which we've seen that uh, those created in your image, redeemed by you, are actually your body. We thank you for ways in which we've seen the church draw nearer to one another and to you, even as we do it in ways that are unanticipated. We thank you for people who, who use their intellect and their gifts from you to develop technologies long before they were needed, to develop Zoom platforms and Facebook Live and Vimeo and YouTube, uh, text messaging software, cell phones, and all these things that uh, Lord, have made this uh, experience different than it could have been. We know that all that gifting comes from you. We know that it uh, is a reflection of your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, we give our concerns to you, we give our joys to you, and we give this worship to you. We know that it's your spirit that has drawn us together uh, even though our bodies are separated, we know that your spirit draws us together in worship to glorify you, to uh, declare that you are God and you are good. So receive our worship back as a gift to you. For it is another way we offer that which you've given us. Lord, even though we are uh, separated by distance, we're united in heart. And so uh, wherever we are, we actually unite in our voices. We unite praying the prayer that your church has prayed throughout time, that very prayer that your son, Jesus Christ, taught his disciples. We pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Uh, hear these words from 1 Peter 2, 19 through 25. Now, it is commendable if, because of one's understanding of God, someone should endure pain through suffering unjustly. But what praise comes from enduring patiently when you have sinned and are beaten for it? But if you endure steadfastly when you've done good and suffer for it, this is commendable before God. You were called to this kind of endurance because Christ suffered on your behalf. He left you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, nor did he ever speak in ways meant to deceive. When he was insulted, he did not reply with insults. When he suffered, he did not threaten revenge. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He carried his own body on the cross, the sins we committed. He did this so that we might live in righteousness, having nothing to do with sin. By his wounds, you were, you were healed. Though you were like straying sheep, you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your lives. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. i 
Would you pray with me? Loving God, move in our hearts and our minds to hear a fresh word from you today that we might uh, be transformed, that we might uh, be changed the very core of our being, and that we might reflect that change to the world. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I would love to say that I'm self-aware. It's a claim I wanted to make uh, at the beginning of the sermon, but the more I think about it, the more I'm actually not always that self-aware. We have a pastor's lunch uh, back when we could all go out to restaurants, and we'd uh, go around town, and we'd sit and we'd talk, and uh, inevitably, I'm the one who would say something very uh, well-meaning, like right about the time the waitress would come by. And it was well-meaning and sounded right, but if you uh, heard it a different way, you're like, oh, I can't believe you said that. I'm the one who... Uh, might say something to somebody uh, with the best of intentions and then a while later think, hmm, I wonder how they received that. I, uh, I occasionally am naive about the implications of uh, things. So uh, to say I'm completely self-aware would probably be a, a false statement, but I've become more and more self-aware uh, about the very nature of the privilege I have. Um, I've been reflecting on what it means for me to be a white, cisgendered male, straight, Protestant, middle class with three master's degrees person. At every category imaginable, uh, I occupy a privileged class. I have never uh, experienced persecution or oppression for anything about who I am. Nothing. That's a self-awareness that is new to me. Most of my life, uh, I thought we all just kind of had the same opportunities and the same experiences, uh, but later in life I've come to realize that um, that's not the case. And so it's particularly hard for me to be preaching this, this First Peter sermon series. Because this is a text written to people who are persecuted and oppressed for who they are. For being the church. People who were driven from their homes, who were uh, martyred for their beliefs, who were literally brought into the Colosseum to face down the lions or the gladiators because of their faith. I don't have any oppression or persecution to draw upon uh, as I read these texts and the ethical imperatives that they contain and uh, their advice on what it means to be church because that's what this this book is all about it's written to this church who's scattered out because of Roman persecution a church uh, who uh, is trying to figure out what it means to live under these realities our first week we heard that uh, the advice was to draw upon a living hope to see ourselves as uh, citizens of God's kingdom people who were literally given a new birth through the word of Christ who were uh, anticipating a salvation because of the resurrection from the dead. Last week, Tom talked to us about what it meant uh, to kind of live between now and then. His passage advised us that the way that we uh, stand under that persecution is to model love. That that's the example we set uh, for the world. Those were the lightweight passages. 
Sarah read our text today, and on its face, uh, it's a call to endure suffering. But the lectionary editors, I think, have left out the context that makes this so much more weighty. Um, you know, Sarah starts for us at verse 19. Now understand it's commendable if because of one's understanding of God, someone should endure pain through suffering. There's so much that comes before that. I'd actually like to go all the way back to verse 11. Dear friends, since you were immigrants and strangers in the world, why are we immigrants and strangers? We're immigrants and strangers because our citizenship is within the kingdom of heaven, not Rome or Lexington or America or wherever. Since you're immigrants and strangers in the world, I, have urge, I urge you that you avoid worldly desires that wage war against your lives. Live honorably among the unbelievers. Today they defame you as if you were doing evil, but in the day when God visits to judge, they will glorify him because they, observe, because they have observed your honorable deeds. For the sake of your Lord, submit to every human institution. Do this whether it means submitting to the emperor as supreme ruler or to governors that are sent by the emperor. They are sent to punish those doing evil and to praise those doing good. Submit to them because it's God's will that they should be doing good. You will silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Do this as God's slaves and yet also as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Have respectful fear of God. Honor the emperor. The text that Sarah read is part of a a broader section that's literally inviting us uh, to bear up and to honor those institutions that aren't of our kingdom for the sake of the future kingdom. Live honorably among the believers. Today they defame you as if you were doing evil, but in the day when God visits to judge, they will glorify him because they have observed your honorable deeds. And they go on to particularize, honor the emperor even if he's not righteous. Do good for other people. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Have respectful fear of God and honor the emperor. That gets us to verse 17. Sarah started on verse 19. Verse 18 stands in the middle. Household slaves, submit by accepting the authority of your master with all respect. Do this not only to good and kind masters, but also to those who are harsh. And then it continues with what Sarah read. Now it is commendable if because of one's understanding of God, someone should endure pain through suffering unjustly. But what praise comes from enduring patiently when you have sinned and are beaten for it? But if you endure steadfastly when you've done good and suffer for it, this is commendable before God. You were called to this kind of endurance because Christ suffered on your behalf. He left you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, nor did he ever speak in ways meant to deceive. When he was insulted, he did not reply with insults. When he suffered, he did not threaten revenge. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He carried in his own body on the cross the sins we committed. He did this so that we might live in righteousness, having nothing to do with sin. By his wounds you were healed, though you were like straying sheep. You've now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your lives. It's not some random uh, ethical imperative to just suffer. It's literally written to slaves and households, Christian slaves of pagan masters, 
with guidance about how they should live in that environment. This is not a text that seeks to deal with the matter of slavery and address whether it is uh, acceptable. There's plenty of texts that are going to point that the Christian trajectory is to reject slavery outright, but yet while it is uh, undesirable, it is the reality in this moment. And so Peter tells the slaves, endure. Don't, don't compromise who you are even in the face of an unjust master and in the face of slavery. Don't, uh, don't forsake your witness because of their evil. And it's hard for someone who has never been oppressed or persecuted, who've never had anybody uh, do anything because of who I am, preach this passage. wrestled with it and uh, pulled it apart. I've sought out uh, the commentators from other traditions and uh, I especially love the African-American commentators on this who, who say this isn't right. And if things were right, there would be no slavery here. But if things were right, there would be no Roman persecution. They advise us that this text isn't about what's right, it's about living in the midst of the things that are not right. And the way that Peter instructs the slaves to live is the way that he expects everybody to live under the oppression of Rome. Uh, in the next passage that we're not even going to read, uh, it tells uh, Christian wives how to submit and maintain their witness to their pagan husbands who treat them terribly. Not to, um, not to endorse that, but to name how you live when things are not right. These texts aren't about uh, those situations. It's about surviving those situations. For, for the slave and for uh, the wife of a pagan husband, it's the same thing as for a Christian in Rome. You really have three options. You can revolt. You can try insurrection. You can try to overthrow the government, you can try to leave your master, you can try to leave that unjust husband. On the far other end, you can sort of just be irrelevant. You can let go of that thing that, uh, that identifies you as different. You can uh, kind of stop with the whole, I'm a Christian thing. Peter asks the slaves and the wives and the church to stand in between those two and to redeem them. Not to revolt, not to be irrelevant, to be, but to be redemptive. To endure the suffering, not because it's good, but because it's the only way to survive and to glorify God. For the church to flourish in the midst of things that are not right. It's hard to make the leap from Roman persecution to where we are today. The church uh, under, under Roman persecution thrived. As they scattered them and as they persecuted them, the church took over the known world. It uh, made 
the map change over those first 300 years because Christianity was at the margins. Christianity was always on the run to the next community to ensure that the message continued, that we have a living hope. Christianity had some uh, folks who were in the aristocracy, but usually it was the slaves and the commoner. It was the people, the people who needed a living hope. And it went gangbusters across the world until Constantine. He endorses Christianity as the imperial religion. It's an acceptable thing and it becomes to be part of the government and Christians begin to not be persecuted. Christianity becomes uh, domesticated becomes part of the aristocracy and part of the bourgeoisie. It becomes uh, something not subject to persecution or oppression. And for most of the world, that's continued. For most of the, uh, that's not fair, for most of the Western world, that has continued. It's become part of just the everyday. But there are parts of the world where that is not true. And you see there a fire, a fire of redemption, trying not to revolt or to be irrelevant, but to be transformative. I love the stories of uh, Charles Taylor and the church in China and what it means to be a faithful witness there. E. Stanley Jones and the stories of what it means to be a Christian in the midst of India. My brothers and sisters from Nigeria and Uganda who went to seminary with me and tell me stories about what the church is doing there where the church has gone back to the margins, it is flourishing and the Holy Spirit is doing mighty things. Where the church has become part of the dominant culture, in many ways it has uh, ceased being redemptive. It's not even trying to be revolting and largely has become irrelevant. The church uh, is now not even uh, the norm the church is uh, just another group over there. Frankly, it's now beginning just in these uh, most recent few decades to actually become weird again. When my parents were young, uh, it didn't matter uh, what you truly believed. You said you were a Christian and you went to church. Things are changing. Christianity is moving back to the margins just a little bit in Western culture. And it's slow and it's almost imperceptible, but the change is real. And this, uh, this whole pandemic is going to give us a chance to really consider what it means for the church to be the church in a new era, in a new age. If you're like me, you've been in your homes and you've been wondering what is actually important. For us, we've discovered some things that were pretty important that we didn't know were, and we've discovered some things that are not the least bit important that we really thought were. This is a chance to examine what it means to truly be a follower of the Good Shepherd, to be his sheep, to uh, be a people of redemption. The church has faced problems because we've been irrelevant as we become uh, less and less the mainstream culture, I hope that our response is not 
just concede that ground. I hope our response is a faithful witness that bears up and offers redemption. I hope our witness is one that shows love as an example. I hope our witness is one that points people to a living hope because our lives look different. It might mean we actually begin to experience a little bit of oppression or or, uh, oppression, that people might begin to think we're a little bit weird. We might reject some things that our society says important. We might not let our kids do certain things because they contradict who we are and whose we are. We might begin to reorient our time and our attention to those things that fill us with God's grace, that sustain us as we seek to live in that third way middle, as God's redemptive people who wait for the time when all of creation will declare that God is good because of our witness. I'm self-aware to know my privilege. And I've become self-aware enough to know that there are many points in my life where I've been complicit in the church being irrelevant. I'm I repent for that and I desire so much different. And as your pastor, uh, my great hope is that we all look back on our lives and see where we have allowed things of the church to be irrelevant, where we have not borne witness to God's faithfulness in the midst of this world. And my prayer is that God will take hold of you and transform you and reveal to you ways in which you might be faithful witnesses. You might be his loving presence in this world. I'm, uh, I, I've got no interest in a status quo Christianity anymore that just goes along with the mainstream and says whatever you want is okay. I'm looking for a people who bear up whatever it means to endure because of who we are and whose we are. I'm ready for the Spirit to take hold of us and transform our hearts in ways that we just look different and people notice. I'm ready for us to avail ourselves of the means of grace, not because they are things that make us uh, better or earn us anything, but because they are ways in which God transforms us. I'm ready for us to be a people who say, it is so important that I care for my soul that I'm joining a covenant group and banding together with other folks who will keep me accountable for being redemptive force in this world. Friends, we got a chance to knit a new garment for the church in this world, and it is time that we let go of irrelevancy, and we have no need to revolt. May God take hold of our hearts and make us a redemptive force starting here in the 40509, but transforming across the world. That God might look and say, well done. And the world might go, what is going on with them? Join me. Do you know I mean being agents of redemption, bearing witness to God's love in this world? Would you pray with me? Holy and loving God, you are the shepherd, the one who protects, who guards us, who delivers us from the enemy. You are the source of our living hope, the resurrected Christ, the God-man who took on flesh, suffered, died, and was resurrected. And we're your church because you poured out your spirit on us and said, go and do. Make disciples. Teach. 
bear witness in your church because people endured persecution and oppression because they got to the margins and they looked different. Lord, take hold of us and help us look different. Help us be dissatisfied with irrelevancy. Move us to be a very force of your redemption in this world. Lord, the world is primed and ready. The world is aware that there are bigger things going on than ourselves. Move your church across the land to spread scriptural holiness, to to transform the very world in which we live. Show us where we need to let go of things or to take up new things. Put people in our lives that will uh, push us on to victory. And most importantly, fill us with your spirit and with your grace that we might stand firm in the face of whatever is to come. For we know that uh, on our own we can endure nothing, but through and with you we can endure much. We love you and we praise you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the whole power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you know me, you know I, uh, I love communion. And probably the greatest pain of the last two months has been not coming to this table. Not gathering together and encountering the body and blood of Christ. And so even though only a few few of us are gathered in this room to record this live stream and come out to you, we recognize that our spirit unites us together, that wherever we are, we are the gathered body of Christ. And so we are going to take communion today. We're going to confess our sins. We're going to hear God's story told in the liturgy of the great thanksgiving. And we are going to bless these elements and know that God will transform them. And then we're going to go stand outside. We hope you'll drive up. You'll receive your elements. And you'll receive this table extended to you. This very real body and blood. This means of grace. This sustenance to be a redeemed and redemptive people. And yet at the same time, we know it looks different. Uh, if, if you've been around, you know I like intention with a common, common loaf of bread and a cup of juice that we all dip in together. Uh, but yet that is wholly inappropriate right now. Uh, I look over to our nurse, nurse music minister at the same time and know that that is wholly inappropriate. We believe our God transforms whatever our God chooses to transform. And so we have prepackaged elements inside of a bag, inside of a box, inside of another bag. The bag won't be taken off until we have face masks and gloves on. You'll receive your elements on a paper plate through your car window or in your trunk or wherever. And if you want them delivered, it's not too late to text us. We've got a crew coming out to bring them to homes. They'll leave them on your porch, text you or call you and disappear. You won't have to see another person because we believe that God's grace it's that sustaining and that important. But it's absolutely worth the effort to get in your car and drive down here. Or for someone to bring to you. So if you've been hesitant, don't be hesitant. If you've been fearful, don't be fearful. Uh, taste and see that our Lord is good. Let's prepare to come to the table.